Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, episode number 116. With best-selling author, Dr. John Rady, who's also an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and an internationally recognized expert in neuropsychiatry. He has published over 60 peer-reviewed articles and 11 books published in 17 languages, including the groundbreaking ADHD Driven to Distraction series with Ned Hollowell. With the publication of Spark, the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain, Dr. Rady has established himself as one of the world's forefront authorities on the brain fitness connection. His most recent book, Go Wild, explores how we can achieve optimal physical and mental health by getting in touch with our caveman roots and how we can rewild our lives. Dr. Rady lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Los Angeles. Hello and welcome back. I'm Andrea Samadhi, a former educator who's been fascinated with learning the science behind high performance strategies in school, sports and the workplace for the past 20 years. If you've been listening to our podcast for some time, you'll know that we've uncovered that if we want to improve our social and emotional skills and experience success in our work and personal lives, it all begins with putting our brain health first. We've mentioned that daily exercise is one of the top five health staples that's a known brain health and Alzheimer's prevention strategy. That was from our episode number 87, helping us to take our results, productivity, and health to these higher levels. I can't tell you how excited I am to have come across our guest today from a referral from someone who was interviewing me a couple of weeks ago. I always participate in Anna Alba's Thriving Parents Happy Student Summit. She asked me, have you read Dr. Rady's book called Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain? And I had not. After I had read just the first few pages of his book, I learned about a school in Chicago called Naperville that provides a powerful case study on how aerobic activity can transform not only the body, but also the mind. I started making connections between the direction of our podcast when it took the direction of health and wellness with Dr. David Perlmutter's Science and Prevention series. And now there was a book about how this one school was using exercise to transform their students' academic performance. It took me back to my early days as an educator when I used exercise to calm down my students who were labeled behavioral. I was probably onto something back then without even knowing it. After I learned about the study and research from Naperville, I asked Greg Wolcott, the assistant superintendent of teaching and learning from episode number 64, and one of our first episodes, number seven, if he had heard of this school and the research, and he had, he let me know that Naperville is about 20 minutes from him. And he said, I have based interventions with several schools off the research and found MTSS interventions to have the strongest effect after PE. So I emailed Dr. Rady immediately. It was late in the evening and I asked if he would come on the podcast as a guest and he responded right away and agreed to set up our interview. His book Spark is about cementing the idea that exercise has a profound impact on cognitive abilities and mental health. It's simply one of the best treatments we have for most psychiatric problems. I couldn't have been more excited about speaking with him. Well, I could, and I was. When I began reading his most recent book, Go Wild, Eat Fat, Run Free, Be Social, and Follow Evolution's Other Rules for Total Health and Well-Being, I almost dropped my phone when I read the last page of his foreword when I learned it was written by Dr. David Perlmuter, whose Alzheimer's Science and Prevention series inspired our podcast to take this turn towards health and wellness last summer. Let's hear from Dr. Rady. Welcome, Dr. Rady. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today from Los Angeles. Yes, yes. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day in L.A., so I hope it's nice where you're at, too. 
It is. It's a beautiful day in Arizona. And I feel so grateful to have this opportunity to spend this time with you. So thank you so much. I know that you've got interviews scheduled all day. So thank you for being with us today to share your knowledge on the Neuroscience Meet Social Emotional Learning podcast. Very good. Very good. I'm interested in your questions, but also in your podcast. So thank you for having me on. Thanks so much. Well, before I get to the other questions that I have for you based on your books, I want to talk about something I read in the beginning of Go Wild, that a chance meeting with somebody changed the direction of your life. And I wondered who that was, who had such an impact on your work and the direction you took with what you're creating with Spark and Go Wild. Uh, there are two two that come to mind. Uh, I'm not sure which one I referred to. Was it? It 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 wasn't uh, the the woman with the diet side of things, or was it a, the 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 professor with exercise? What which? Uh, I'm not sure because I didn't get to the point. They they hyped it up in the beginning, and I've still got the second half of your book to finish. So I thought I'm going to ask him because. Somebody made you go in the direction that you went in, and I wondered. Oh, well, yeah, no, I, I, I think that was early in my career when uh, I was beginning to talk about attention deficit disorder, and I was talking about it in, as something that was much more common than than we were paying attention to. And this is back in the early 1980s, which is before most people were born, I'm sure, but. Uh, we were not attuned to attention problems much. And I was seeing it a lot in adults. And and this one professor, very famous guy, came up to me and said, can I come and see you? And so I said, sure. So he came to my office and we uh, met and he said, look, I'm a marathoner. I've been a marathoner all my life. Uh, and I had to stop about six months ago because of a bad knee and I'm rehabbing it, rehabbing it. Uh, and just for references, before we had the quick operations we have now for, for knee problems. So, uh, but he, he said, since I haven't been running, I have all the symptoms of attention deficit disorder had all the symptoms of attention deficit disorder in adults. And he said, it, it's really come on since I stopped running uh, and, uh, and rehabbing his knee and all that. So I treated him with some medicine and he got some much better. Uh, but then I followed him out and after about another four or five months, he was uh, back to running a bit and then a bit more and then back into training for marathons. And so both of us agreed that he didn't need the medicine anymore because he was back to being this hyperproductive self, which before he was sort of stopped. He couldn't, he had all the symptoms. He couldn't pay attention. He was getting angry. He was getting frustrated. He was procrastinating. All kinds of things that we see a lot in our ADHD population uh, that he had and uh, had never had before because he was always training for a marathon uh, his whole life. So... It, it hit a light, light bulb for me is that, hey, exercise is really self-medicating for a lot of people. And uh, so it really uh, opened up the whole vista of one, of ADHD, and two, of ex exercise. So that really changed my life. I love it. And I know you've got a book out on ADHD and you've got a new one coming out. Yeah. Um, what, can you tell me a little bit about the one coming out? Just so well, we... the one coming out is ADHD 2.0. It's out. It's out in Jan end of January. Oh, got it. So it uh, it sort of brings people up to speed on the new way of thinking about the brain and specifically about ADHD in the brain, and uh, uh, really is a, a collection of what we know now. Uh, sort of an update. We wrote our first book in 94 and, uh, and two others in between. And this is our last and it's uh, uh, very compact. Uh, 
uh, so people have a chance to really get into it and understand the new the new science as well as the new um, treatments that that are out there. Well, it's really helpful, Dr. Rady, to have your expertise behind some of these theories that we all know are so helpful. Like we just feel better when we're exercising. And so to have the studies that you've done behind it really helps. And when I was, I was actually doing a podcast with a marathon runner, this guy, Troy Busso, he's into endurance running. And he was talking about how he's training and running 50 miles and for me, I find it really difficult to run two miles, but I can run up a mountain and down. But what do you say about people with their bodies? Do you think that we're made for running or are some people runners and others aren't? What does the research say for? Well, no, I think we're all made for running. It just, you know, there's different parts of that, uh, you know, and, and different attitudes, different training, and certainly some people are more genetically apt to, uh, to, to, to do distance running uh, than others. But in uh, some sprinters, you know, some people running really quick. Uh, so there's a whole range of, uh, of people that have an aptitude and an ability to do these things or their genes or, you know, their bodies are more set for that. But we all can do distance, distance endurance running and endurance walking, certainly, because we, we, we were hunter-gatherers. We came from the hunter-gatherer uh, group, and uh, it's only been 10,000 years ago that we're not out there moving 10 to 14 miles a day, which we did for a good 4 million years while we became the humans that we are and we grew our big brains. And, and so we were movers and our big brains grew to help us move better. And as we evolved and had bigger social groups and improved our language skills, the parts of our brain that we added to help us be better movers were the parts of the brain that helped us think. So really, uh, when our moving brain is really our internalization of our, uh, our thinking brain is the internalization of our moving brain. So it, it, it's, we use those same nerve cells to, that helped us plan, predict, evaluate, understand, change up our tactics to help us move, but also to help us think. So that's exactly what we call executive functions. Um, and that's what we mean when we execute. And in our brain, it's, it's about using those cells to help us execute, to help us think with. So I discovered that just by chance. I knew that in order to sit at my desk and research people like your books on neuroscience that takes some significant thinking, I've got to do exercise. And it just can't be like, like light exercise. It has to be rigorous. So what's actually happening in my brain that is making me think better and thinking of our students as well? Right. Right. Well, first thing I can say is that you're going to pay better attention if you exercise, you know, because you turn on the all the thinking parts of the brain. When you move, you're turning on those thinking nerve cells, if you want to put it like that, and especially your attention system. And that is allows you to stay with it, to stay with an idea to evaluate, to understand, to use your ideas, to scan your memory banks, if you will. And, and also to keep in your seat while you're, while you're trying to parse through stuff that David Perlmutter wrote. You know, I mean, to try to understand that, you, you need to, uh, you need to have the, the sitting power uh, and and also the attention to go with it so that you can understand things. And um, uh, so 
that's a big one. And that's, we make a big point of that in our new book, ADHD 2.0. But also uh, you, you do so many things to the brain positively to help us be better learners, better thinkers, better workers, better students. Um, uh, and by the way, it also exercise also makes us more social. Okay, not only are we able to think better and uh, and manage our emotions better, mm -hmm. but we are more social after we exercise oh. for multiple reasons. Because we get our brain queued up, we're better attentive, we we are more motivated, and all that. But we also release the bonding hormone, oxytocin. Um, and it is a powerful hormone that we have that helps us want to be bonded and connected to others. And then you get that bonus in with exercise if you're connected and you've exercised. You have a powerful, powerful incentive in your brain and changes in brain chemistry that help you learn better, that help you learn better in every way, socially, cognitively, emotionally. So these are, that, that's why it, it's, to me, a big, big piece of any kind of improvement in almost any area of humanity has to do with, with getting our brains ready, getting our souls ready, if you will, by exercising. Well, I'm just curious, what does your routine look like from this study and i know that you spent some time being a monk so <laughs> no only, only 10 only uh, yeah only about 10 weeks all but right still it was it was great uh, that was long before but that was when i was in college so uh, right. yes uh, zen monk yes 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 so does that still translate in everything you've learned? Are you still using it all? Well, no, I think the Zen, then the Zen philosophy and everything is, yeah, that's, that's a big part of my understanding. Um, I was a philosophy major, so it's, that's big, big part of my philosophy, but um, my training, my, it, I, I very, very, very varied. Uh, what I do, you know, uh, uh, the base is about anywhere from eight eight thousand to fourteen thousand steps a day. Okay, that's just a base. Wow. Um, and we're pretty good at that. My wife and I, we're pretty good. We always walk, and uh, we just came back from Hawaii for two and a half months, wow. and there we were outside all the time. So you were just moving. Um, here we have hikes we go on, and and also destination. We spend an hour going back and forth to the post office when we don't need to, but we do, you know, or walking up to get groceries, and and that's another, oh, that's another mile and a half run trip. So, and we we schedule our day like that. Plus, I'm early and got in with COVID and being confined. I got into the kettlebells. So I have a whole series of kettlebell and kettlebell routines that I do using YouTube's, um, you know, yeah. kettlebell with Amy, kettlebell with Chi Chi. You know, <laughs> I, you know I, I just yeah. love it because, yeah. uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of throwing that bell around, mm -hmm. uh, you know, great for your muscles, but also get your heart rate up a little bit. Um, you know, it, but you really need to, to move. And uh, another important one for people to, to recognize and use, recognize and use is something called the seven minute exercise. Um, it's, a, it's a great little app. You can you put that in your browser, you'll get there. And uh, done by friends of mine uh, in Orlando, Florida who put it together a while ago, and it's now the New York Times, it's now wow. Johnson & Johnson actually uh, supported it. And so it's really uh, seven minutes uh, and you exercise most of your major muscle groups 
uh, and you know it's 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 adequate, especially for a quickie, so to speak. So yeah, love it. I was just curious about that. Now, if we could kind of turn it a little bit to nutrition, because we've made the case that why exercise is important for the brain and. So, so in chapter three of your book, follow the carbs with a case study of Mary Beth Stutzman. It caught my attention because her story kind of mirrored, but hers was way worse to my health challenges back in 2016, when I started looking at changing my diet and trying to figure out what I was going to eat. And, and I did a podcast episode with a fitness trainer, Jason Whitrock, who talks about the keto diet and how he discovered eating fats. But what do you think, can you explain what is this disease of civilization that each of us suffers from in some way or another? And what are some solutions? What should we eat and what should we not eat? Well, I think in our book, we really take, a, take it apart um, in a fairly quick way. I mean, we, in the US, we got what we call fat phobic. Um, you know, that fats were bad, cholesterol, high cholesterol was killing us, you know, that we should avoid fats and eat sugar or eat glucose and starch. And this has led us to where we're at now when we have the obesity crisis and the diabetes type two crisis uh, and the heart disease and Alzheimer's and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. It, it makes us less healthy to pack on all the glucose that we eat. I mean, we, we, we love it, you know, we're addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to bring that under control. And in fact, like your friend with the keto diet, that's a radical departure from our current uh, dietary preferences. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, all of the, the, the quick foods, the foods that are so inviting, the potato chips, the, uh, you know, Doritos, all that stuff is carbs, 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 right. uh, as well as our favorite comfort foods. Oh my God, mm-hmm. pasta pizza, you know, those are carbohydrates. Uh, it has other stuff, but it's mainly carbs. And, um, you know, we, we enjoy it. We uh, crave it after certainly we've been schooled in, in the use of them. But when you, when you move away from that and you get to just protein and fat or, or more heavy into that area, your, your body and your, your brain changes. You get less up and down. I mean, the thing about the carbs is it gives you a jolt, but then it's there's a withdrawal. When you know two hours after a good carb meal, then you're you know you're feeling sluggish and want to take a nap. Um, whereas with the switchover, when you we talk about that, when you get into the more ketogenic diet, which means eating stuff that isn't carbohydrates, basically. It's anything but carbohydrates, but um, you got to have some. But this it basically switches your body's metabolism and your brain's metabolism to one of using ketones or uh, stuff from fats and breakdown products from fats that you can use as fuel, whereas right now we use glucose, most of us. And so to make that switch is a real big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's really very, uh, you know, and we talk about it in the book, and I'm sure all, anybody who writes about ketos will talk about how much more energy they have. Right. And, uh, you know, that's where your l- lack of endurance might play a role. You know, these, these people who run 50 miles and are, you know, we see as, oh my God, how could they do that? Well, usually they're not they're not taking carbohydrates with them. They're not, you know, they, they've trained their, their diets to such that they're really using less and less carbohydrate starches in their diet and more and more fats and proteins um, so that their body doesn't, it, it can use the fat that we have stored in, in our bodies 
as fuel. So, and, and, and this is really a big switch for your body. And I've had a number of patients. I, I did it for about three months. I think I, I talk about it in, in go out a bit uh, or in spark. I'm not sure where I talk about my own journey and very briefly, but it, it, you know, uh, I lost about 10, 15 pounds that I, I didn't think I needed to lose because I was in very good tip top shape in those days. And, uh, but just by going on the strict diet, I lost weight and I was eating as much as I wanted uh, of the, the right kinds of food. So, uh, plus my energy was really high. I was exercising very much then. Um, so, yeah, and so I had the fuel. And it helped. And, you know, I loved reading in Go Wild about blaming someone for fat phobia. Because I always wondered, where did I get this from that butter is bad for us? I don't know who taught me that, but I loved having someone to blame that Ansel Keys from University of Minnesota. He did yep. some studies on fat and cholesterol. But can you explain why, like what, why do we get lean when we're eating higher fats? Just because it was such a, a huge shift for me to suddenly take a thing of butter and put it in my coffee. That's how I started. I started doing that because this, this Jason Whitrock, he was this, this bodybuilder all lean and that's what he was doing. So I thought I'm going to try this. And then this other guy, Dave Asprey builds this whole business on bulletproof coffee. That's based oh, yeah. on, you know, putting butter in your coffee and eating higher fats. And now I've got MCT oil on the counter and I've never been leaner and more sharp, able to study this neuroscience stuff. And, and it's all because of a change in, in diet. So what? Yeah, no, it, 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 it does. It, you, you made the switch. Okay. You're, you're, or maybe you're the more of, of that, the, the more calories in your diet that it's involved with fat and protein, the less it's going to be involved with glucose Got it. and, and starch, starch is glucose. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the more you start burning less glucose and more ketones, the, the, like you say, your energy is going to be elevated. Your, your cognition is going to be better. You're going to be, you're going to have more endurance, both studying neuroscience like you were, but also sitting in a chair and doing it and also running on the hills. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it really helps um, foster sort of the more enduring kinds of things that we as hunter-gatherers really were about. And the whole point we go back to is in, in, in Go Wild, especially, is that we didn't have uh, potato chips back then. You know, we didn't have crackers. Right. You know, we, we, it wasn't something we did. You know, we had vegetables, uh, you know, out there, but uh, also fat and protein, you know. And uh, then we got fishing and we had lots of protein and lots of good fat. So... Yeah. Well, now we've kind of got this idea with exercise in the brain and understanding how to eat right. There was something that I thought was key that you mentioned in Go Wild, and it was about the brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF. You talked about it as miracle growth for the brain and how important it is for our brain health. How does nutrition or what we're choosing to eat have such a profound effect on BDNF and be so important for our brain health? Well, because it, it really does impact the development of, of uh, our brain and, and the feeding of our brain. We, what we do know, the offset of that is high glucose levels. They can be, they are seen as toxic to the brain so that it, it, it really can injure our brain. Mm -hmm. 
And so, and, and a big thing that it does is suppresses the production of high glucose levels will, will, will limit the production of this glorious compound BDNF, which is really uh, the master switch in terms of learning and brain, uh, healthy brain development. We now see it as an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety agent, anti-craving agent. Uh, so this BDNF is really a big deal. Mm -hmm. And it's also the key growth factor, and there's a lot of them, but BDNF is the key uh, to prevent uh, the onset of cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So our, our, the science of exercise and diet really took off when we learned about exercise and diet being, essential, being involved in preventing Alzheimer's disease. And so you see all these panels of what to do as an anti-aging push. Exercise at the top, right beneath that is diet. Mm -hmm. Then right alongside of that is connection, being connected to others. Those are the three, and then you got you got other things in with the, I call the wellness levers of sleep mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, being outside, being in nature. You know, you're going up the mountain today, mm -hmm. is uh, being out in nature already. You know, mm -hmm. and it's great when you can do that. So, uh, so in the in the '90s, really, it the whole science of wellness really took off around exercise and and sort of diet came along with it michael pollan and all the others who were starting to write about it way back um rachel carlson but uh but you know these are uh, there was a start of like okay we really have to be healthy here mm -hmm. and in our COVID environment by the way my God, the whole, the reason why I'm so busy now and not traveling is because everybody's interested in wellness, everybody. Why? Because it's the anti-COVID march. You know, if you're, if we're gonna learn to live with COVID, we have to be well. Mm -hmm. All of the, the comorbid so-called uh, problems that people have with, or, or difficulties for the COVID infection is are all in the realm of being unwell, right. unhealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're a setup. And that's why we Americans are dying as much as we have, have because we're fat, we're lazy, we have high blood pressure or poor cardiac function, and all of which can be changed with the appropriate diet and exercise. So now let's bring all of this to Spark because this is the Neuroscience Meets Social Emotional Learning podcast. And I started this with the idea to bring in some tips to help our schools and workplaces with these social emotional skills. And suddenly I found out health and wellness is like the spearhead behind these skills. And so can you tell me what was the spark that you saw with Naperville this is what caught my attention with this book that, that I picked up and I thought, I, I emailed you before I'd even finished it. What happened with Naperville with all of this? That was a glorious, uh, talk about key people, that uh, meeting Phil Lawler, the uh, principal, uh, not principal, but he was the principal PE teacher in the junior high there who started the revolution in Naperville's PE program, physical education program, uh, about eight, eight years before that uh, he was on a front line talking about, in, in, in talking about the obesity crisis and especially in our kids. And they were interviewing him because they had just canvassed all 19,000 students in Naperville, their big, uh, district, um, and only 3% of them were overweight, 3%, mm -hmm. 
Well, the average back then was 33% in the US. And the average today is 37%, which is, you know, shown we haven't much moved, moved the needle much. What that was really phenomenal. And what they had done, he had changed up physical education, which they had every day in, in, in Illinois and certainly in Naperville. They had it every day, 45 minutes, regular class. And what he decided early on is that like his kids were not getting any healthier doing the traditional PE program. So he decided to focus on fitness first. So fitness was it. So all the kids were running, doing calisthenics, and then maybe doing some weights if they had a weight, you know, option. But mainly doing running and running games, mainly moving. And uh, it was quite a revolution. So that's what, you know, and they really got into the health of the kids and they, the kids became their own masters of their own health. They learned about it, did it, all that. But what really got me on an airplane, I say, is that two years before he was on in 2000, 99% of the kids took the international science and math test. And it's a test that every country takes every three years. And the US is usually in the teens somewhere. Well, they took it as a country, you could do that. Their district you could take it as a country. And they came in number one in the world in science and number six in math. Wow. And I said, holy mackerel. Right. The healthiest kids you can imagine also being amongst the smartest. So that got me out there. And I was out there every year for the next five, six years. But that led to writing Spark. And that's the first chapter. And everybody who reads Spark <clears throat> all over the world uh, say, can you come and help us make a Naperville here? Because it's so incredible. And it is an incredible district for sure. Um, and they're still pretty much there in terms of uh, having their kids so physically fit and also intellectually fit. Um, so uh, it, it was just a delight to see what they had done and, and what, how empowered the physical educators were. I mean, they were interested in the latest neuroscience you know, and, and wanting to, to be able to talk about it in, uh, in, in every way. So it's, it's, it was really a, a nice, uh, important marriage for me, so. What I really liked about that story was one of the students talked about how they took those skills that they learned at Naperville into university. So they're studying for their university exams and they're stressed out. And then they thought, what's my go-to stress strategy is to run up and down the stairs. And I thought now these are lifelong skills that they took from Naperville, which is what we're trying to do with social and emotional. We're trying to bring these skills into the workplace because these skills are missing in the workplace. So that's what I really uh, caught my attention. I thought, wow, that school now built a lifelong exerciser, which was pretty cool. Oh, and I thought, I, I talk about this story a bit too, but one of the, the, the his, Phil Lawler's co-teacher, co uh, was uh, Dr. Zikowski. Um, uh, Mr. Z was called in the school and he was a football coach and a big guy, tough, uh, but also, you know, demanding and, uh, but gentle as a lamb really. And uh, one of the things he wanted to, he, he was in the high school, one of the high schools and he brought back in a big way, dancing, doing, uh, you know, different kinds of dance uh, for four weeks, four week module in, in the PE class. But he noticed that the kids were not talking to each other. So he developed this strategy on his own long before Spark came along 
of having the kids talk to one another. You know, new girl, new boy, computer generated every day. They'd have to talk to one another, introduce themselves, etc. He gave them scripts to use, like what's your name? You know, next time, where are you from? What what's your favorite? This, what you know, yeah. just to get the conversation started. And you got part of your grade on the test at the end is how much information you could get from a 10 minute uh, encounter with a new person. Wow. So you talk about social emotional. I mean, the big thing is, 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 uh, you know, in psychiatry and psychology is like, yeah, is, uh, you know, uh, the performance anxiety, social anxiety that people have. Well, this is a way of normalizing the the treatment for social anxiety is practice. You practice social interaction, mm-hmm. and and what I added to the to their uh, bag of tricks by coming and and seeing what was going on. And I said, and I learned about this, and I was just stunned. It was like, oh my god, what is you know, easy stupid thing to do, but it really. Um, avoided a lot of troubles but i i came back and i said okay are you having them look at each other face to face in the eye are they are they that there's their eye contact which is a huge piece of social interaction right 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 and we've learned this from the autistic studies and all that kind of stuff but so he just said, well, okay, you're right. They don't, they look down at their feet or, you know, and read the script or the, you know, that's, that's what they're doing. So he, he, the first time he went back to this and uh, he asked people to tell them, tell them what their new partner's eye color was. Uh, they had to and, look in their eyes. Yeah. And when they didn't know, it became a big deal because you didn't want to disappoint Mr. Z. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, it really uh, cemented that whole social interaction and, and everybody was doing it. So it was no big deal. You know, it was right. just part of the class. Mm-hmm. But when I talk to psychologists and psychiatrists about this, they say, wow, mm-hmm. what a great thing, you know, ten, up to 10 minutes of training, of talking with, uh, you know, the opposite sex person, which is usually the, the biggest problem with social anxiety. Right. So anyway, so yeah. that it really promoted that social emotional learning piece and this was right before they did their square dancing and all the other stuff that they were doing you know just to meet their new partner i love hearing skills that can be taken from schools into the workplace because you know when you're in the workplace all these things that we learned we think well when am i going to ever know like an algebraic equation what how's that ever going to help me but it's these social skills that I even have to know um, right now, calling up people, conducting interviews. I've got a script. I've got to remember sometimes I can't look at my script. I've got to look at the people I'm interviewing. These are things that were never taught to us in school, but we have to, in order to excel in our jobs in the workplace, be able to connect with other people. It's a lifelong skill that's so important. And I think one of the things we're, we're, we're an important point that we're learning and learning again and again and again is how important connection is, mm-hmm. how important that social involvement is, both for our physical health, mental health, but our cognitive health as well. Mm-hmm. And the more we're connected, the better we are, the more well we are. So that's why, you know, COVID has been such a horror for most of us, but, uh, you know, it's really, you know, we we're zooming, so we're connected, you know, but, uh, 
Uh, we're not connected like we used to be, and we're not having the freedom of, of uh, the, the kind of social interactions that, that we once had. And I think we're so craving it. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the, the, you know, we loosen up the, the restrictions and all of a sudden we're seeing the numbers grow. But thankfully, hopefully, we're going to outpace that with more and more vaccinations, which is, is the wave of the future, hopefully. So, but we see what happens, but people crave it so much and we've been so repressed. Mm-hmm. So sitting on our hands as you, as you were, as it is, you know? And so now, now we have a, a, the chance to recoup. Definitely. Well, Dr. Brady, what is your focus now? What are you researching at the moment? I know we mentioned your, um, your book that, came out in January, but what would be next? What's your vision? You've made such an impact with schools, with health, with nutrition. Where are you taking all this next? Well, I have a nonprofit called sparkinglife.org and uh, which contains a lot of my writings and, and, and stuff that we're doing. And we're working with the recovery population, uh, recovery centers around the country that are using exercise is a key part of their recovery program. Love it. We've had two national conferences on that. Um, but moving forward fairly quickly, we're working with uh, a wonderful uh, psychologist in, in North Texas uh, and who's uh, involved in working with first responders and their families. So we're starting a study, you know, now it looks like I have to get an IRB and uh, uh, for it, but we're starting a study down there of 550 first responders where they're gonna be, every shift, they're gonna do a half hour of running or walking or biking. Wow. And we have partners like Samsung, like another one called InBody, which has a way of uh, measuring their body fat and body water and cell, cellular water and all these algorithms to tell you how much inflammation you have. So, uh, and it's just enormous, uh, exciting what we're, what we're going to do. And all the chiefs and all the executives of the various police and fire down there have really, really stepped up and they're gonna give the person, the people time to exercise on their shift. And uh, then we're gonna evaluate them to begin with and then at the end, so end of three months. So uh, it's, we're gonna study, you know, whether or not this can, we, we predict that it's going to have a pretty good impact on their, the overall wellness of the population and, and ability to deal with the inevitable uh, trauma that they're going to witness on along the way. I mean, they're just absolutely yeah. Yeah, my husband's but, always been involved in volunteer fire and policing, so that's a big part of our world over here. Um, yeah. The stress that they see, he goes out on a volunteer basis to try to relieve some of the stress that's going on with some of the paid officers these days. Yeah. You know, it's it's really amazing that the kind of daily or not, to, you know, yeah. the the continuous stresses that that the job really implies, and to give them uh, to give them the start to continue their wellness with exercise, uh, at least it will be a beginning. For them, you know, and a half hour a day, that doesn't sound like much. It's not, but it's a real beginning for the, for them. So, Well, you've done a lot of work for humanity with our schools, with our first responders. Dr. Brady, I want to thank you so much for your time with me today, talking about your books and your research. If someone wants to contact you and learn more, is the best place johnbrady.com or is there other places? Yeah, that is the best place and and, uh, uh, 
And then we have a we have a Facebook page that's now being called Sparking Life Facebook page. Um, it was it used to be John Rady MD, but now we're switching because they're they're supporting it. And uh, every day we put on a new article from the popular press that is usually a breakdown of uh, new studies or new findings about the benefits of exercise and general wellness for cognitive improvement, for emotional uh, management, and for social, uh, you know, socialization. So uh, th that's those are the ways to get in touch. And <laughs> And my email is john at johnrady.com. So it's a simple email uh, to, to get a hold of me. And uh, I often write back, not all the time. Well, I am so grateful that you wrote back to me. I've enjoyed our time together and I've only just scratched the surface with my questions. I had probably 300 more. So. I will, I'm going to actually do a deep dive where I go a little bit deeper into sleep because there's uh, so much in your books on sleep. We just talked about diet and um, nutrition and exercise, but you have so much more in your book. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, I enjoyed, enjoyed spending the time with you. So thank you. Absolutely. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.